Yes, indeed. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Yes Indeed podcast. It's an unlucky number. It's the Baker's Dozen that we've been searching for our whole lives. Bakers are nice. May the 20th be with you. It's National Star Wars Day. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Because there will be 20 Star Wars movies by the end of this year. Yeah, Disney loves it. Disney loves the money. Yeah. So. Who can blame them? We're we're talking about things <laughs> I'm today. Ryan Computer. I'm Ben Zeiger. We're talking about things today. Yeah, we are talking about things. We're talking about uh, some board games, namely this one called Bunny Bunny Moose Moose, which is a lot more thoughtful than it sounds, even though it's also funny. Also, uh, as a bit of a, like a whoopee. Uh, this was designed by the same person who did code names. True. Uh, and we're kind of catching up on stuff. It's been a bit of a busy month. Month, yeah. So we got a lot of concerts that Brian has been rocking that we got to catch up on. So just, I mean, I'm going to be talking about the Go Team, Mr. Jukes, the Nationals' Homecoming, Young Fathers, Kate Nash, Company of Thieves, Florence and the Machine, Two Nights, and then a Vinyl Night I just had in my apartment. So plenty apartment. of things. And then uh, we're talking about games a bit. We'll talk about uh, video games, that is. We're talking about kind of like co-op, cooperative experiences. That we've been doing recently. That are more silly and turn-off fun. And we'll do a little kind of like mid, mid-game mid check-in about this near automata thing. I don't even know what it is. We'll find out more later. It's true. Baker's Dozen. Yes, indeed. It's like the spit without the mouth. It's like the union without the south. It's like the south without the fried chicken. It's like the Elliot without the frickin'. It's like the frickin' without the cursing. It's like the lips without the pursing. So Vlada Chavadal, right? Bunnies. <laughs> and mooses. <laughs> so <laughs> Vlada Chavadal is a board game designer that we like. Uh, he's made a lot of really uh, well-designed, well-received games, both in the kind of like intense game community, stuff like Space Alert and uh, Mage, Mage Knight. Knight and... And then Dungeon stuff, pets. Yeah, and then there's stuff that like most people who are sort of board game you know about, like code names, which are is also really well designed. And one of uh, Vlada's more idiosyncratic games, I would say, is this one called Bunny Bunny Moose Moose. <laughs> so what is Bunny Bunny Moose Moose? Uh, so Bunny Bunny Moose Moose is a game where uh, one person each round takes a turn being the hunter, and everybody else... Uh, is either going to try to be a bunny or a moose based on which one the hunter likes the least at the moment. So the hunter is going to... The hunter has like five stacks of cards in front of them, basically. And they'll read a poem that is has a rhyme and is like, if you're careful, quick for just whatever i don't know what it is but you'll read it out and then in tempo as you're reading you're going to be flipping over cards under those piles that i had mentioned uh and the cards you're flipping over have 
some kind of point value associated to a position for butter, 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 the whole point of the game. People are going to be making silly poses with their hands on their head to either be a moose or a bunny. Sure. And the whole game is whether you be like a moose with their antlers up or a moose with their antlers down or a moose with their antlers spread apart or a moose with their hands put together or a bunny with their ears on the side and the back or if they're like floppy or if they're up. Right. Sure. And you're trying to do that via maths. <laughs> so <laughs> basically but it's fun <laughs> it, so it's it's in real time as as the hunter is reading this poem that's like listen do you hear someone tis the hunter with his gun do not if you call me quiet yeah. stay you will turn us get away right and and basically that this poem keeps looping and as it does every time you as the hunter are reading a line you're turning over a card and the card has a modifier on it about the the point value of being either a bunny or a moose and then those uh different permutations of what those animals could look like that brian was talking about so if so one might... of your if your left ear is is a bunny that's in the back with with it upright and your right ear is in the back but flopped down that's worth a different point value than if it's in the front and they're both up which is because, a different point value than if you're a moose with your antlers open and down. Because the cards have, the each card that comes out might be like, if your right antler is up and spread out, it's worth plus two points. And then you'll get a new card that's like, well, if your right antler is down and open, then it's worth three points. And then you're like, oh, shoot, I got to change my antler. Because it's so, marginal points. Exactly. So in real time, you're trying to evaluate... If you should be a bunny or a moose, and which one is better? Uh, because you each round you only score as either the bunny or as the moose, and uh, your end your final end of the game score is the lower point value of the bunny or the moose. So you're constantly trying to balance whether you're capitalizing on bunny points or moose points, <laughs> and if you and if you get too confused by what's going on, then you end up as a bush. If you, it says in the rule books, if you have one ear as a bunny and one ear as a moose, then you're a bush and you get no points. <laughs> so, so what, like, what, what do you think makes this game fun? Well, so quickly, just to wrap up mechanics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the hunter keeps reading this poem over and over again. Oh, right. Once they reveal one of these hunter cards, then they say bam, and and everybody freezes, and then you score at that exact moment. Mm-hmm. So you never know when it's going to happen, and it could be right after one of the cards comes along that completely changes everything. So there are cards that like everything is now double points, or everything that's positive is now negative, everything that's negative is now positive. Um, so you're constantly because. The cards are replacing other cards. You have to keep evaluating. Okay, well, the thing I was just got replaced, so I got to change what I am. Mm. Um, but the reason it's really nice is because one, uh, it's 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 like a cool puzzle. Um, as with a lot of games, it's cool to use your brain in a way that you normally don't. Mm. So this is a cool combination of like thinking, but also like being. It's very visual, also, mm-hmm. and, and, phys- I, and physical. And usually games that are thinky puzzly kinds of games don't aren't aren't necessarily the best for people who are like visual folks. But mm-hmm. this is kind of like, well, if you're a mathy person but you're not visual, you're not necessarily going to do well, and vice versa. So it's really cool. It's got a good mix of things you have to do to be good at it, but it's 
mostly awesome because it's just really silly. Yeah, and the, and the atmosphere when you're playing is definitely like thinky. There's like a number crunchy part of it. And it's also not like so hard and intense in terms of the numbers. You can be a bit silly because you're, pre- you're pretending to be a moose or a bunny. And and uh, one of the things that makes Vlada Chavato great is that all of his rule books are written like very funnily yeah. for the reader. So like the pictures in the book are like Albert Einstein playing bunny bunny moose moose and <laughs> well, things and they, like that. They they uh, they gave all these funny cases of like what happens if you have uh your two fingers at the at the corners of your mouth pointed down like a vampire no points (laughs) you're a bush (laughs) (laughs) what happens if you do the rock out symbol instead of doing antlers no points you're you're a a bush bush. (laughs) and uh yeah so that's that's always really lovely about a lot of games and then that like even the variants in the game are like well, what if there's a rule about sticking your tongue out? So, right. <laughs> like, it's 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 a weird space because it is most games that are that silly aren't also that thinky. thinky. Yeah. So it's a really nice, especially if you have a board game crew. I would definitely not recommend this game to everyone. Mm-hmm. But if you have a board game crew that tends to typically like the thinky games, but you want to break up the energy of like a strictly Euro game heavy board game session... Bunny Bunny Moose Moose is an awesome, like, everyone will have to be, they'll, they'll still have to think of it, but they'll be, you'll engage the, like, silly bits of them. Yeah. Like, I feel like when uh, the group we were playing with, they were people who like the thinky kind of games, but uh, I think really appreciated this, the fact that they were doing something that was just ridiculous. Yeah, and, and like you're saying, there's definitely certain games that if people just want to do something silly then Happy Salmon or Junk Art or Junk Art is a much better choice than Bunny Bunny Moose Moose. And if people really want like an intense number crunchy game, then playing something even like like Concordia or or whatever, like there's, there's lots of uh, Euro games that are good for that. And Bunny Bunny Moose Moose is kind of a foot in both worlds, which makes it really special, I think. So uh, even though, there's definitely people who this isn't great for. There's also people who this is exactly what they're looking for to have something where they're both being silly and thinking at the same time. It, it definitely belongs in the like board game recommendation flow chart. It's just in a very niche spot. Totally. With basically so, nothing else. <laughs> yeah. So if that sounds appealing to you, you should check it out. But for the most, I imagine for most people, don't. <laughs> but you know that's the nature of board games and i i like having the niche things ready to go so that's why i own it soup is weird. weird the worst it's not food drink, drink or food or food <laughs> yes indeed it's like the spit without the take it's like the shivers without the shakes it's like the shake without the maraca it's like the poopy without the caca it's like the caca without the mamie it's like the pointing fingers without the blamey live music it's so good (laughs) uh yeah we have so much to catch up on just because i'm a concert maniac and we haven't done this in a month which means that I've been to a bajillion shows. Uh, like, 
Well, and also it's a it's a feedback loop because part of the reason that we haven't done this is because you've been to a bajillion shows. Right. Yes. <laughs> and it's been crazy and like and in here I don't even have slated to talk about the expo where I just went and saw like a bunch of songwriters talk about them doing their craft. Anywho, we're not talking about that. We're talking <laughs> about concerts. So who who are some of the highlights that you've seen in the last month? Alright, so I this isn't even everybody. Right. I've pared this list down a bit. Um, but these are the ones that like super made an impact. So the first one I wanted to chat about was uh, a band called The Go Team. Uh, it's well, it's The Go Team. There's an exclamation point, and I clipped. But sometimes you gotta clip because you're excited. <laughs> so you gotta the, go. Yeah. So I saw The Go Team at Le Poisson Rouge with uh, our our buddy Quinn, and it was so absolutely amazing. Um, like it was it was just like a nonstop just 100% dancing 100% of the time they have so much energy themselves it was like they they're so impossibly into their music that you can't not be into the music with them Mm -hmm. um and almost have like a pep band's sound to them like they have that like kind of like high school band feel about them despite being an indie rock band because of the way they sample particular songs and the like their instrumentation of like having the brass and bells and like it's just kind of has that feel like snare drums like there were there were two drum sets on stage for no other purpose than because they have like six or seven people in the band it's like if you don't have an instrument to play this song why don't you just jump on snare just hop on the drum set (laughs) and just like drum along with people because you can't go wrong with having more live drums like Mm. that's just a super cool philosophy and like they have a couple lead singers for the most part and they're both like so insanely stylish like i can't i can't emphasize enough how like they're they're they yeah they have like their fashion choices made sense for who they were as a band which is always like a really cool thing but for the most part it's just like they were dancing and having so much fun like you could tell they loved their music mm. um yeah, and that's a, that's a big important thing for me because i think I, i've been to a decent amount of shows and i'm like if you can't be bothered to be excited, I can't be bothered to be excited. Um, and especially when their music is so uh, fun and energetic. If they weren't fun and energetic, then that would have been incongruous. Right. Um, and would have been like immersion breaking. Right. But because that wasn't the case, it was absolutely incredible. And like they, you know, just some of the new songs where uh it's like they have a part in the song where they all introduce themselves and then say what their star sign is and then they just like went to the audience and then you were supposed to be like my name is brian and i'm a libra and like we did it and the people who were too afraid to didn't but it was funny um and yeah i was just i was like in a sweaty mess after all of it um as was quinn and then we had a super epic hug because we had just experienced this like super awesome thing together and I, I cannot recommend enough going to a Go Team show because it's just, I even if you don't know the music, like I I know some of their albums really well. Like uh, their first album, Thunder Lightning Strike, was a big indie album for a lot of people. But they're just so much fun that I think of the bands I can recommend to people of like, you don't have to know any of the music, just go to the show. I think it'd be you'd be hard-pressed not to fall in love with them. and And even if you don't, leave from that and want to listen to them all the time you'll leave leave that experience going that was so much fun Mm -hmm. which is a valuable thing um so that was that was the go team 
And then the next one I wanted to chat about was uh, Mr. Jukes, uh, who it's the solo project of the lead singer of Bombay Bicycle Club. Um, and Bombay Bicycle Club are in my elite tier of bands that have four really, really good albums, which is a hard tier to be in. And just like all of the other bands in that tier, I think Bombay Bicycle Club largely make that list by the lead singer's voice being so amazingly cool. Um, like I've never heard anyone sound like him and I don't know why it's, I don't, I can't even describe his timbre really. All I can really say is there's this like vulnerability to it and the way he sings, you just pick up on emotion in a way that you don't with most other people. Like they're, they're an indie rock band. Like their first album is like 2000s, like late, like middle of 2000s, like indie rock British, like just like all the other era stuff I have similarish sound, mm-hmm. um, a bit different, obviously, as they all are. And you can hear that difference if you're a nerd like me, <laughs> but, um, there's, and then they released their second album and it's a purely acoustic album and it's called flaws and it's beautiful. Like it's one of the most beautiful albums I can think of. And you can't release a really awesome acoustic album without a lead singer being awesome. So that to me is, is something that's really, really special. And I don't know that he, like he can have his voice quiver in a song and have it still feel strong, Mm. which is a characteristic that I just, I don't know how it's possible to to, like how it, how it is. Um, Mm. but it's there and it's really cool. Um, and there's like certain, yeah, there are some other songs. It's just like a punch in the gut. So. Mr. Jukes is his solo project, and it's a very different vibe. It's like a fun, kind of like a jazzy, bluesy kind of thing where on stage he was there with his, like, bass guitar. And one of the cool things about BBC, Bombay Bicycle Club, and generally about British indie rock is that a lot of times the bass guitar has the melody. So he's, he's very clearly really good at guitar and, like, can do all sorts of cool melody stuff with his bass guitar. Um, which a lot of people don't associate with, but they kind of like the the like higher pitched bass guitar carrying melodies thing in England. Um, so he he was doing that, and then he had like three backup singers who were you know really soulful and really adding a lot. And most of the songs weren't actually fronted by him. They were they were like one of the backup singers would take the lead on it, which is like a we- weird dynamic, but it was fun because seemed like everybody had a very important role to play. So like there was a trombone, there was a trumpeter, there was a saxophonist, like a drummer, um, someone who was playing like organ keys thing in the back and um, just had this very like very cool sound that was like very throwback. Like they've worked, one of the people who they worked with and were super happy about was uh, the screaming eagle of soul, Charlie, Charles Bradley. Um, (laughs) So like, yeah, they, they, it was like a very cool sound. And um, to me, the thing that was super cool and really affirming about it was that he was just so happy. Um, and Bombay Bicycle Club hit it big when they were like 16. Hmm. They like they played one of their most popular singles at a like high school assembly <laughs> to their high school. Like... So they 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 were young and pretty much have spent their entire adult life in Bombay Bicycle Club, and I think like seeing him 
get to have his creative outlet and he'd like sold out rough trade and had played an earlier show. And this was the second show of the night. Um, like to see him doing his thing and being like successful at it, not as successful as Bombay, obviously, Mm -hmm. but seeing him find success on it and see how happy that made him that he like got to play music that he really liked was like a really cool thing for me and change of pace for him. Exactly. And, and I think a lot of bands, feel kind of pigeonholed by what sound they can have because they they couldn't have put this record out and said it was like a Bombay Bicycle Club album because um, it's just it's a very different sonic profile and I think fans have a certain expectation and you can subvert some of that like growth on subsequent albums is always an awesome thing but completely changing your sound like from indie rock sphere to like jazzy like soul rock kind of thing is is to like a bit too much of a leap and i think it's a really good use of solo projects um mm. that you can kind of stretch your musical genres and i think so like block party and kelly okareki is like a good example of it um where kelly has like really dancey uh solo stuff and block party have incorporate some of it which is really cool but it's not like as full-fledged and just having letting having someone who you really admire and like letting them have their full creative freedom can lead to really cool stuff like the national and Elvi, where Elvi is this like really really weird version of like a national song basically mm-hmm. because it's matt berninger's side project um it can lead to some really cool stuff speaking of the national <laughs> yeah oh my goodness yeah so my brother and i uh at the end of april went to the Nationals homecoming, which was in downtown Cincinnati, which is where the National are from. And Larry and I are both from Ohio. And you could tell everyone who was at this festival was so in love with the National um, and, and like loved them and, and, and seeing them in Ohio, like in Ohio where they're from was just a really special experience. Like you could tell it meant a lot to them. And when, when a, when an, when a performance feels like it means a lot to the performer, it means a lot more to the audience too. And we really shared something special with them when the festival was going down. And, you know, for national fans, they played four hours of unique material over two days, which is like, that's insane. So you, you had to be like a big national fan to be there mm-hmm. because that's a lot. Like you're only going to hear each song maximum once. Um, but they have enough songs that it, like they totally pulled it off and, you know, um, Trouble Will Find Me and High Violet are two of my favorite albums ever, um, the national records. And they played a lot of both of them. And they put, like, Boxer's an album I love. They played it in full. But it didn't sound that great live, but won't won't get into that too much. Because <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of like a quieter album. But, I mean, the reason... I think Larry and I were talking a bit a bit about it, and I think the reason that they're well, the, we know the reason they're so awesome live is because they have this horn section that they don't really record, at least don't record loud, where they've got like a, a they have a trumpet and a trombone player uh, in all their live songs, so it makes the epic moments that much more epic. And I think the National at a certain point started really loving this like two chorus song kind of thing where. You'll have the bits that, you know, you'll have like, as terrible love and I'm walking with spiders 
and and like in that same song there's another part where you really feel like you have to sing along to and and that that like singing along big and it the songs are like slow and sad and they just feel really powerful so when you're singing along with him it's like the most beautiful thing ever like mm. some of my favorite moments at concerts ever have been when they'll do Vanderlyle Crybaby Geeks um, Unplugged, which is just this really simple song that Matt said the lyrics don't even mean anything. They just feel really powerful, and they do, where you have the entire, like, 10,000 people in Cincinnati singing with the national just going, Vanderlyle, cry, baby, cry. Oh, the water's arising. There ain't no surprising you. Like, it's just... My my brother and I were actually like, it was so special for us that we were like, we just wanted everyone to just like keep singing that as we left uh, the festival because it was just so perfect. Um, and for some reason, people who know a bit about the national but not a ton, for some reason their favorite song is about today. They played it and apparently everyone went wild. Larry and I are like, it's a good song, but you know, give me blood buzz. <laughs> so it was it was awesome and and you know. Obviously, the national was the the encore. This was the entree for for the whole event. But um, Saturday was terrible. <laughs> Otherwise, a lot of really bad bands. Um, I think the band we liked most was a band called Spank Rock, and they were just really fun and did all sorts of cool dancing. And they had a song called "I Want to Make You Come," which <laughs> was funny because the rest of the day was like sad indie music. <laughs> So it was great. And then Sunday was absolutely incredible. Um, well, and the National have been a really special band for you and Larry. Oh, 100%. And they're, I think, if I had to say, I'd probably say they're my second favorite band of all time behind LCD. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, yeah, I think, and we first saw them at Lollapalooza in 2010. And it was right after High Violet came out. And we had known, like, a couple songs each, maybe. Like, I knew Karen and Larry knew, like, Mr. November. And we saw them live for the first time, and they blew our minds. Like, mm. and I was expecting them to not be fun live because their their albums are like pretty chill. But something about the live atmosphere, Matt gets like really intense live. Um, he does some weird stuff to his head, and then also he's on some cocktail of weed and alcohol now. But um, <laughs> whatever it is, it's it's like really magical and like there's an insane musicianship throughout the band um that really comes through and it's it's just it is a perfect mosaic thing and if if you've attributed any emotions at all onto their songs seeing them live is this amazing cathartic experience um so yeah four hours of unique sets was really special and it was awesome my brother is so much of a super fan uh they started playing a song that's on like their second album which isn't very good or it might even be like an ep i don't know but they played this song called wasp nest and my brother was singing along and he, and he was like how do i know the words to this song <laughs> and he was like i'm singing along to the second verse how uh which is awesome it was so cool just to see that happen and you know it was absolutely special to be there with my brother too because um, it's such a special band for each of us but also just like hanging out because festivals there's a lot of downtime so it was really nice to be with there with him and sunday because sunday also had sunday was amazing 
Sunday was like every band was super great. Where uh, we started off our our spree of awesome bands with Big Thief, who's a band I've already seen like four times, despite them coming out their first album in 2015. Um, a band that makes so much sense live. It's they're loud and emotional, and you can't not connect with them on the songs. I, Adrian Lenker's voice is absolutely stunning. Um, I'm seeing them again in October, so I'm sure I'll talk more about them. But then Future Islands played, who is another one of Larry's like top five favorite bands, and it was a band I super love. Uh, and they're so good live. They just have this energy about them, and they they really step it up. And they almost have like this. Uh, they kind of dance like teenagers at punk shows, except mm. they're like thirties. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's this energy about them, and the lead singer just like runs throughout the stage and like like will just very dramatically emphasize all of the dramatic points in the song which is to me my favorite thing is when you can move along with a song and really emphasize its strengths uh, and its emotional hot arcs it's that's the coolest thing ever so and they do that along with me which is really cool and then feist played before the national and like that that one two three four is insane <laughs> some of my favorite bands ever all playing at the same is incredible um and my brother who was like pretty new to feist was expecting it to be kind of boring and was like wow feist is awesome because <laughs> she's such a good performer and i like i cannot emphasize enough how even just the way she strums her guitar communicates emotion mm. which is impossible i don't know how she does it and there's like she has so much poise and the way she sings everything you just you feel it and they, I mean, very appropriately, she has a song called I Feel It All. And it's just like, that really sums it up. <laughs> I feel it all, I feel it all. Um, yeah, it's just, there's this really cool sound in her, the evolution in, of her sound from the reminder to metals to pleasure has just been this really cool ride to be a part of. And seeing her live is exceptional. And I cannot recommend it enough because she is amazing. And she knows how to command your respect and your respect and also your attention. And you will be rewarded for being present and, you know, sing-alongs and, uh, you know, all of those things. Like Sea Lion's super fun where she has like a breakdown where she just starts whispering and does like Sea Lion, Sea Lion, Sea And you're just like, what is happening? This is so cool. Yeah, I don't know. She's just the best. Well, and speaking of emotional bands... Oh my god, we're not doing well on time. <laughs> well, uh, months worth of concerts. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, and so transitioning from that into a band called Young Fathers, who I've been super insanely obsessed with. You can attest to this. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the album I've played the most in 2018, for sure, is their album Coco Sugar that came out this year. Um, they're awesome. They're so intense. Like I came home and I described it as it was a concert where I didn't smile once. And that sounds like it's not good, but it was actually incredible just because they were so intense. Like they would finish a song, be at the edge of the stage with this intense look on their face and just like stare the audience down. And was like, yeah, what? It was like that kind of attitude. And I was like, I would, I was clapping like really intensely and just like, had it like a super cold stone cold face and i was like yes more (laughs) (laughs) which was so cool 
and they're they're just like so energetic it's three three people and they're scottish and they all like sing on top of each other and like compete with attention with, with each other and dance all over the stage and are ruckus and it's just so good it's amazing they they played at the zone one at elsewhere which is this tiny stage and they're playing two more shows at elsewhere in like november i already bought tickets to one of them and it sold out so like everyone's like you just see the band like it's so good everyone is uh, oh yeah so i'm gonna have seen them three times this year so i can brush over them a little bit because i'll be talking about them again um i'm seeing them again in london which oh my god we're gonna have to debrief on london when i'm done with that but it's true um we'll do kate nash next um so for the the uninitiated kate nash came out with her debut album made of bricks in like 2006 and then has put out albums since then that people have largely not super cared about. But she she's one of those performers where the people who are Kate Nash fans, a lot of people who are Kate Nash fans, they're like, she's like their favorite band, which is my absolute favorite concert to be to. Because everyone is like, you're my way of life. <laughs> uh, and just being around that energy is so awesome. And, and like you hear one note and then you hear... Up, like half the room scream is this really really cool thing and she has so much uh panache and like she's clearly dealt with a lot of things with like mental health and and things like that and is and is so poised and like ready to share and it's like it's just this really cool thing to be a part of and she played a lot of that first album which obviously all of us were so insanely in love with um so that's always this big cathartic thing and like some mix of nostalgia and um also just like recreate it's the cool the cool bit about nostalgia is that you're reliving those memories but then you're kind of pacing over them with new ones that that are still really nice moments so like i'll go and i'll hear um like pumpkin soup now and i'll have whatever high school feelings i had attributed to it but then i'll also have these like really nice irving plaza memories of being in a room full of people who worshipped her singing along and like singing along to a song about, you know, and bird shit on your head. And like, <laughs> it's so good. She's just, she has this very like storytelling style to the, to her songs that seem a bit rambly, but are actually really focused and saying really cool things. And you can tell that it's a songwriter trying to find their voice. And something about that is just a really magical thing. Um, so I, yeah. I've been wanting to see Kate Nash for a really long time. And um, if you haven't heard her, I would go check out, you know, her, oh God, just Foundations, which is like that first song that made her big is just so good. It's, you know, it's easy to get lost in the singles culture and and think about who, you know, how, how much of a bummer it is that you have like three songs on an album you listen to and then skip the rest. Mm-hmm. Because there's, you know, the artist obviously thought there was value in the other ones, but also the reason that happened is because some of those are just like so emotionally Special. provocative. Yeah. Um, so like Foundations is a song that's, you know, the refrain is like, uh, my fingertips have are aching from gripping at the our foundation. I know I should let go, but I can't. And it's just like it's just this really. Sometimes you hear a song and it's like nothing you've ever heard before. And then it just sticks with you forever. Um, so that's really special. 
but her whole first album is amazing and and a lot of the stuff she's done since then is 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 really awesome and was cool to see that live because i hadn't experimented much with it and it was just really nice and it's cool to hear songs for the first time live because their memories are always a trip you always hear it and then think of the live experience which is a cool thing Mm -hmm. okay how we doing company of thieves company of thieves um awesome band from chicago lead singers absolutely like jaw-droppingly awesome genevieve um and they they have like this the rest of the band plays like kind of a rock style but she just has this voice that lights up the room and she's so joyful and is like always laughing and smiling in between songs and um it's infectious and you can't not be like really into it and just it was this was an acoustic set so it was just genevieve and the lead guitarist i forget his name um but it was so cool because they they had been on a hiatus for a while and then they realized that you know they have a really cool thing going with music and they needed to do stuff creatively again like i said you need if you're sometimes you just need a different creative outlet than the one machine because you feel like you need to do other stuff um so they did that for a bit and now that they've regrouped, it's just really cool to see some of the new songs and just seeing someone be so joyful and so she's such a performer and the, her voice, I can't emphasize enough. It's like, go listen to Oscar Wilde, which is just like one of the best songs ever. It's, you know, the refrain is, we are all our own devil. We are all our own devil. And it makes our life, a, our living hell. It's, it's just like such a profound song and says a lot and about the struggle and you know they have songs about feeling like they've spent their whole life waiting and just their their two albums that they have out are just super emotionally packed songs and uh so much is communicated in in genevieve's voice and being in a room full of that and people who have been company of thieves fans for a long time and just all experiencing that together was a, a super cool thing that i wouldn't trade in fact i had tickets to see a different band that night and i sold them when i saw company of these was coming because i was like i can't not they're just one of those bands that's just like i will always see them live anytime well man yeah speaking of speaking of seeing someone live oh my god <laughs> this is i it's so hard everything's so good so I got to see Florence and the Machine play at BAM Opera House two nights in a row, being second row and first row, and it demolished my brain. It was so insane. It was amazing. Like, Florence is, as a performer, just stunning. It is, like, you... It's stunning. Like, you... You it gives you pause. <laughs> you can't function. Uh, like after the first night, she played and she was done, and the stage was clearing out, and they uh, they just played like a slow melodic song in the background. I just like stood there, like forcibly like gripping myself, um, and just had my eyes closed and was just like in that moment. And I was like, I just want to be in this stasis for a while, where there's no time it's just like being in awe of florence it's a really cool thing um to be so in awe of someone just the way she moves about on stage 
and the songs are so big and her voice is so big and the what she's singing about is so emotional and you know she has all these songs about you know feeling like you're like you're falling and songs about um you know oh my god listen to hunger her new song it's so good oh god it's so fun to sing with her and really really cool i just the nerdy music aside on that new song so there's a there's a bit of the song where um the what like the pre-chorus i think uh it goes the way you move your body baby and like the those plosives just because you can like make them so like move your body baby come on and give it to me it's you can't not like move your body to it the way she does in the music video and like now that i've seen her music video i like i always do that motion she does because it just feels like i need to like put my body into it so good <laughs> oh, such good songwriting um yeah she she's like so engaging so rewarding to the fans like uh would just like get up to the edge of the stage and like uh you know make like why hey balcony two why aren't you standing yet get up Come on, this is me. <laughs> and we were all like, yeah, come on, let's get up. Because everyone who was up in the front, the second the band came out, before Florence even did, we were all on our feet because it was we knew it was going to be special. And it, it sounded incredible. Oh, my God. And an opera house, so the acoustics were fantastic. And you could just hear. And one of the cool things about being so close is that you could actually see the machinery of how she was singing where you you could see oh so cool and she's just jumping around as and is like so happy to be singing these songs that mean a lot to her and she she can do that and also sing as well as she does it's just it's mind-boggling and you know she had a couple songs where she she like clearly the security knew that it was going to happen but she just like ran off the stage <laughs> and that you could tell that they knew it was going to happen they didn't know when and they just like they scrambled and like kicked their chair like upside down because they were trying to chase after her because she just like ran into the middle of the crowd and started singing and like would if you were dancing would like she'd like come up and like dance all up in your face like yes it was so good <laughs> um like how can how can you not think i'm your the best band ever was like the attitude she had about her set and it was so cool um and there's so many songs that it's just like they're so big yeah there's nothing there's no one quite like the way a Florence machine is a Florence and the machine song is big, like break it out and ship to wreck. And like, what kind of man, like these songs are just, they're meant to be huge. And when you see them and they're huge, it's, it's your brain can't handle it. (laughs) (laughs) And she, like, she came up to me and like, what kind of man and like all the men in the front row, she like pushed back their forehead. And for me, she like gripped my chin and was like, like angrily like staring at me like what kind of man loves like this and it was so awesome (laughs) yeah like unforgettable it's i will not forget that experience ever it yeah it one of those concerts that felt like 30 seconds Hmm. and you can't you can't trade those for anything because you don't even remember it (laughs) you couldn't (laughs) trade it and and you've started to do stuff where you're you're sharing music that you love with the people you care about. Yeah, and I mentioned a bit about like singles culture and what impact that kind of felt. So just this Friday, 
we had a f- we had a few people over to our apartment for a thing that I'm calling records in full with like the tagline how about we listen to records in full um just because there's something really lovely about um being patient with music because I think a lot of the times we passively consume music um and that's not a bad thing it's pretty much the only media we can do that with I mean other than people who can like watch like crap TV on in the background while they're working um and and you still kind of your brain can still kind of process it some people it's the act of listening to music is too too active that they can't do it while working obviously but for me at least it's one of those things you can do really passively so giving it your full attention and dedicating time to actually say i'm going to listen to this album in full i'm not going to shuffle i'm not going to skip any songs i'm going to listen to it in order and it can result in some really cool things where you know i'm sure everybody has this where you if there was a, an album you listen to a lot in the car. Uh, then whenever you hear one of those songs and your brain doesn't hear the song that's supposed to follow it, it goes, hey, what happened? Yeah. What's going on here? Like, <laughs> after Jenny was a friend of mine, it should be this, like, your brain can't handle it when it's not the case. And, the, like, those neural networks are super cool. Mm-hmm. And also, you just you just can appreciate things about it. And, you know, in the over the course of the evening, we were... There's like conversation that was flowing throughout the whole thing, but there were certain moments where if there was a lull in the conversation, everyone would kind of listen in. And then we had some pretty cool and really deep conversations about like music and people's artistic choices and what, what makes certain songs pop and like, why, why would this be the instrument that's carried from one song to another? Why did the people have a, like a weird unusual chorus that makes you feel weird in a song about love like all these all these cool things you wouldn't necessarily process if you weren't just like sitting down and and even though you're chatting it's under the guise of an evening about listening to records so Mm -hmm. um i thought that experience was really really cool and um you know just especially doing this in a place like new york that's very hustly and and very zero attention spanny just sitting down and having nothing to do other than that, I think was really lovely. And I think helped us all appreciate the music and each other more just because it was like a very patient evening, which I feel like is a thing you cannot say about most New York evenings. Totally. And what, what were the three records that you listened to this week? Ah, uh, yes. So I picked out, uh, the first one is Youth Novels by Likey Lee, uh, which is, it's just one of those albums that has like, bunch of songs on it where you were like i can't believe this is on the same album as this other song like i can't believe i'm good i'm gone is on the album with downs 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 and the same record is a little bit and like you can keep going to that rabbit hole because it's just it's a really awesome album that's like got a lot to say clearly where you know some of it is like poking fun at love some of it's like angry like if you want to complain i'm not the complaint department you know kinds (laughs) of songs and um it's just it's got this lovely arc to it and starts out with just like you'll be the melody and i'll be the beat and you'll be the melody and i'll be the beat and love the shoreline where you and i meet and it's just this like very rhythmic like what are we listening to it's so good (laughs) and then we listen to uh fast food by nadine shaw who is uh one of my favorite singer songwriters she plays um this com- she she's got this history of being Iranian 
and it really comes out in her music. And she grew up a lot of her life in London, so you hear some of that like indie rock sentimentality, but it's it's darker, it's very brooding, and it's got this very specific instrumentation to it that is very particular and carries a lot of emotion in it. Um, and was really cool to listen to those songs flow into each other and had a song in it that I made everybody hush and listen to because it is one of those songs that destroys my brain because it's just, it's so special. Um, so yeah, Fast Food by Nadine Shaw. And then we ended the evening on In Color by Jamie XX, which is like uh, like kind of a dancey album, but it's it's very particular and awesome. And like, if you like the XX, Jamie XX will blow your mind because he's just one of the best beat makers alive right now. Music. The spider is coming. Hello. Spider. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's like the breaking without the dancing. It's like the frolicking without the prancing. It's like the prancing without the legs. It's like... The stand without the kegs. It's like the kegs without the mead. It's like the follow without the lead. I've talked a lot. Ah. Can you intro you... Bloons? So, <laughs> <laughs> Bloons is a game that uh, I I played online when I was in elementary school. Where it's it's uh, basically a game where you control monkeys who are trying to pop balloons. <laughs> <laughs> and... It's, uh, they didn't block it on our school server, so you could just play it in the library for fun. And it's a tower defense game, so you basically like put a monkey down, and their whole job is to pop as many balloons as they can along the path that the balloons are traveling. So that was, that was like a fun experience back in the day. And then... And the monkeys pop balloons with darts. Yeah, and there's different types of monkeys that have different abilities and stuff like that. So like there's a super monkey. There's a super monkey who shoots very fast. And pops many balloons. Um, and sometimes shoots laser beams out of his eyes. It's true. Or becomes a sun god. It's true. And the uh, the thing is that like it's it's a it's an interesting kind of tower defense strategy game that has uh, one of the nice things that I like about it a lot is that it finds a way to make things be engaging and challenging without there being a lot of killing that happens you know because all you're doing is popping balloons with monkeys you're monkeys so the context really changes the tone of the experience and in line with that they they released uh, a version balloons tower defense 5 where you can play cooperatively so that's that's kind of this this thing that you and i have been uh doing recently and that we've done a lot of the whole time that we've enjoyed playing games together whether it's board games or video games where we can just kind of like have something that we can do together to fill the time you know because once once you've been friends with somebody for years there's not like all that much to say or do after a certain point like people you're just like caught up you're up to speed on stuff like when you meet up with a friend who you haven't talked to in five years you're like we got a lot to catch up on but if you've been seeing the same person for every day for years yeah. you're kind of like it'd be nice to just like spend time together with a person that i really like a lot and have a thing to do at the same time so yeah. balloons is a great example of that where you and i can kind of like talk about strategy and and work together and stuff like that um but i don't think that balloons is a strong enough game on its own 
to make it like something that I would sink a ton of time into. Right. But when I have somebody who I like to do it with, suddenly it, it turns into this new thing. And the super cool thing about the way Bloons does co-op is you each control half of the screen. Right. So you you can't really have people quarterback or, you know, be because you really have to work together and say like, I have this in my comp. What do you have in your comp? We need to work together because there are different types of balloons that uh, there's some camo that you need to have a special way to see them or there's some that are metal that you need to pop with something that's like more explosiony or there's some like huge blimp balloons that you need to do a lot of damage to. Exactly. So you can't both of you can't be doing the same thing. You kind of have to differentiate, but because there's the, these balloons like follow a path, you each have a certain part of the path that you can attack and only that part of the, the path. Right. So you really have to coordinate to make sure that between the two of you, you have enough firepower to take things down. And the way you coordinate and differentiate is really neat. Yeah. And it's, and it's basically just complicated enough. You know, it's not this like huge, intense, uh, head trippy, dense experience. It's pretty standard. There's like a couple layers of complexity to it. Uh, and you can also, it's good with difficulty. So if you want to just kind of like have a thing to totally turn off and just hang out and click on stuff while being with somebody you like, then that's fine. Um, you can also make it into a more kind of min-max tactics-driven experience. And that's that's the really nice thing about tower defense games. It's always been the nice thing about tower defense games when you play them with friends because you you build the thing and then you hit play and then you just kind of watch your machine work. Yeah. So there's this really nice turn-off element to it where it's like, other than watching just to pay attention and see what part of your machine is working or not working super well, you're just kind of hanging out with the other person. Yeah, and Bloons is nice because it, it also, you control when the waves are released. So uh, so there is this, for the most part, there's not this like time pressure, like I have to do this thing at this split second or we lose. It's more like almost turn-based, you yeah. know, um, which I think is a really nice format for these kind of turn off and hang out with somebody kind of games. Yeah. Um, which is also like this other game that we've been trying called Card Hunter, <laughs> which is a turn-based kind of grid uh game in which basically it's it's part kind of dungeon crawler dungeons and dragons style game part um role yeah role-playing game and then part like deck builder basically we've talked a bit about pathfinder which i think is the thing that it reminds me of the most Mm -hmm. it's not as good as pathfinder no by a lot like it's not it's just not as it's not as polished and nice and like i can't do the same amount of thing where it's like oh ben really needs to succeed on this track let me sacrifice myself to help him like really cool kinds of stuff like that but it definitely takes up time and it's <laughs> it's like kind of nice it's kind of nice it's also one one of the things that i actually i both don't like about it and also really like about it is that it's designed by like super nerds like the nerdiest people on the face of the earth and like they clearly poured all of their nerdiness into making this thing be as nerdy as it possibly could there's a currency in the game of pizza and the only sound effect in the game really is someone going (laughs) and the pizza the the pizza delivery girl is like kind of cute and like the guy who's wearing like the cape and the glasses can't doesn't know how to talk to her it's like really awkward it's very cringeworthy (laughs) 
But they, they did it intentionally. They yeah. really wanted it to be that cringeworthy. And it's 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 got like decent mechanics and a lot of it's luck based, but it's mostly just a time sink. Which again isn't necessarily a bad thing because I think we talked about this a bit before, but there I still think that we're people haven't fully realized the potential for video games to be like fun co-opy things they i mean clearly they've the thing that people have invested a lot more time and energy into thinking about video games for is multiplayer competitive stuff yeah so like the cooperative stuff is always against other humans which we don't like we don't find enjoy like we don't want to smash humans we just don't find joy in that yeah. we'd rather just work together against a computer and beat it right so i think there's still a lot of room for because a lot of those a lot of the pieces are there for video games to be really cool experiences of people working together to beat like pve like versus an environment um i think there it's going to keep getting better but in the meantime it's just nice to have a thing to do with Ben and because you can play Card Hunter and finish a thing within like 10 minutes, it's a game that we'll do just because hanging out together and doing a thing is really nice and it's hard to find a thing that you can just like click on or do and do in like 10 minutes and yeah. just be done with it then. Because people have busy lives. so Especially us. Yep. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting because uh, there's, there's definitely something to be said for games that are really kind of turn off chill out have fun with somebody don't think a lot um just like there's room for games that are really like mind-numbingly heady heady like uh near automata tom heady <laughs> so yes the the famous musician tom, tom heady in the heartbreakers <laughs> <laughs> so uh speaking of heartbreaking near automata. heartbreaking also also speaking of like that it's fine. We don't want to play against humans when we're playing a game. We're fine to just like play against an AI or a computer and destroy yeah. them. But what if those computers and AI had feelings? Oh God! <laughs> Welcome to Near Automata. So why don't you outline this a little bit stronger? <laughs> we so yeah, Near Automata is a, a strange game where you're you're playing as androids who are helping humans who have had to leave the planet Earth because aliens invaded or something. And the whole world is basically overrun with these kind of cute-looking robots. Um, who attack you. Who attack you. And, and you have, like, giant anime swords and stuff. It's Japanese. It's very Japanese. <laughs> um, but the thing that I think is really interesting about it, because I've, I've had lots of Japanese role-playing games these JRPGs that I've been repulsed by over the course yes. of my life just because you know some people love them that's great I did not have that in my brain so I really don't like them yeah because you there's a certain amount of the like weird yeah. really short skirt nonsense that like a lot of people are just like oh it's a JRPG thing yeah right? well, it's, it's it, a different culture like Japan yeah. has a whole set of of uh histories and and expectations that are different than ours and it's definitely a there's some there's some dissonance in terms of experience there um, that some people love and some people like us don't necessarily yeah. and and the, I think the thing that's near Automata's greatest strength and greatest weakness in some ways is that it is extremely pretentious it's like so philosophical and so heady and it's like what is consciousness and like what 
what is the difference between being a human and a machine? Like, what does it mean to be alive and have a, a sense of self and identity and feelings? Like, are these things just electric or are they, are they deeper? Like, what, what is this? And I think we talked a bit about it way back when, when we said some of the things it does that are really cool are like its change of perspective where mm. you'll be playing like a normal third person attacky game and then it'll transition into being like a platform thing and then the 2d top down 3d just like seamlessly transitions between all these different which is super cool and innovative and worth praising but i don't want to get stuff hopped up on that again but i will say that as we've been playing it more because for some reason the developers wanted to make a game that you you like quote unquote beat the game and then you play through it like again six or seven more times (laughs) i think it's four times through we we're gonna we're gonna circle back to this after we've played it more but so far we finished it once and then we're about halfway through a second playthrough of the game as you're basically doing exactly the same thing you did before but playing as the other character who you weren't the first time which completely changes the game and that's that's what i wanted to say is that we mentioned a bit about how they innovate on these gameplay mechanics of like changing perspective all the time it seems like not only do they incorporate that from the gameplay perspective, they also incorporate it into a narrative perspective. Yeah, totally. Which is actually really cool. And I think regardless of whether we like read the text in some of these parts and like roll our eyes and go, oh God, like, what are you trying to say here? This is ridiculous. There, There's something about, like, I have no idea what's coming next ever in the Automata. Yeah, it's which is, compelling. Yeah, it makes you just, like, want to keep doing more. Because I think that the, the, the way that narrative design works in games, for the most part, is either it doesn't exist, or it's basically just ripping off narrative design from films that are really cinematic-driven. And it feels rote, you know? Like, it feels like... Oh, okay, it's an action game. Here's the action hero. Like, oh, it's a fantasy world. Here's the elves and the okay, got it. And a lot of times when they especially when they're trying to play off movies, they do what movies do worse. Yeah. So like the gameplay might be engaging and stuff, but the narrative just doesn't hold up to these other mediums because they're trying to emulate them. The games that are really cool and interesting now aren't trying to be movies they're realizing some of the cool stuff you can do with games i think near automata is really ambitious with experimenting yeah in that in oh that it's vein. it experiments a lot <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's a big title like it's not an indie game it's a huge budget game that's that like had a lot on the line and could have done safe stuff i mean it's a sequel to a game that did fine when it first came out and was a much more stupid boring game at the time although i I do remember hearing that it did a lot of it did some crazy stuff also. Yeah, I I, I remember reading that it was kind of sort of interesting. Right, but near is a whole nother near automata is a whole new yeah ballgame. And and I think that it's it's uh, really fascinating in terms of its experimentation, and we'll we'll uh, tune back in with it when we've gotten through some more of the pretentious log that you need to get through. I will say that just and and but. To emphasize again, like how weird and awesome some of these moments are. Like we've been playing, and then out of nowhere, the, like you'll just stop playing, and then there'll be a cut. There'll be some kind of like cutscene, and you'll just you have this look on your face where you know you the thing where your head is turned like the dog, and you're like, "What is happening?" <laughs> and then sometimes it's like that was weird, and then other times you're like, 
oh my god, like what was that? <laughs> like Bennett, Bennett a couple times has has been playing this game, has has had one of those moments happen to him, and then like immediately quits out of it and texts me and is like, "Near Automata's weird." <laughs> And because he's just like so, like he can't keep playing because it's like it's so bizarre. He can't like keep that away, like hide those moments from me because he wants me to experience like how strange and awesome some of these things are. Yeah, it's special. You know, for better or worse, it's very special. <laughs> and and yeah, we can obviously say some things about a game that you have to play through like four times to get its full narrative potential and respect for people's times and stuff like that, but. It clearly doesn't care. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't care. It just it like it has a thing it wants to do, and it's gonna do it. And we want to be along for the ride because it's <laughs> a weird ride that's interesting. Yeah, we did it. We did it. Baker's dozen. That's thirteen bagels or donuts. Can you have a baker's dozen of muffins? Can you have a baker's dozen that's partially bagels and partially donuts? Ooh, yeah. Do they have to be consistent? The same? Food for thought. Literally. Food for thought. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bye.